The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Heyo, heyo! Welcome to Tuesday's Fantasy NBA Today and Today in Sports Betting Simulcast, a very special episode. As our buddy Devin Ellington, the normal host of Today in Sports Betting, is being carried away by a biblical flood in Oklahoma right now. So we are simulcasting today's show, or at least the sports betting part of it. I am your host, Dan Bespris. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. And uh, I think that probably gives you a little bit of an indicator of how things are going to be going on today's podcast. This is, of course, a HoopBall presentation. That's hoop-ball.com. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter if you'd like to give me a follow. Or don't. I guess it's entirely up to you. Please hit me up if you want to start the first ever non-sports podcast here at HoopBall, at Dan Bespris once again. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball is at Hoopball Tweets. I want to make sure you guys are checking that out. Cool things, by the way, going on at Hoopball before we dive into the betting side of the ledger today, and then we'll break down our next team in our trip around the NBA. Yesterday, of course, we broke down the Lakers as our first fantasy recap on uh, the 2020-2021 the campaign. That's hard to say. That's why I often don't say it that way. And today, we'll be looking at the Clippers. So we'll just cover the other, or that's not fair, but another of two teams in Los Angeles. There you go. But the cool thing going on in HoopBall right now, in addition to, and we mentioned this a bunch of times last week, in addition to the fact that we have a new podcast called the All Rookie Podcast, hosted by the great William Harris, where they break down they, he, it's he right now, although there will be guests and other fun things going on. Most recently, William did an episode uh, of a mock draft, broke down a mock draft. But that's a show that's going to be tracking rookies coming into the NBA and how they perform all season long, both from a reality and from a fantasy standpoint. So very good show for folks that are into Dynasty Leagues, which is a perfect segue into our next new podcast dropping at HoopBall today, probably within the next two hours. It's called Punt Intended. I know, it's a pun on the word pun. Punt intended, a Dynasty NBA podcast. So it's a show, uh, Rhett Bauer and Travis Fuller, the two hosts, Rhett writes for us here at HoopBall. The show is going to be focused exclusively on Dynasty Leagues. How cool is that? A Dynasty podcast. I love it. I love it. Everybody's always asking me, Dan, when are you going to talk about the Dynasty stuff? I'm not. I'm not. This is a redraft podcast for the most part. I'll, I'll hint at keeper league type stuff, somebody that might be better the following year, reasons to look at guys at the end of the season, even if they're not performing at the end of said season. But this isn't a dynasty podcast. We don't track the rookie draft for the most part. This is a redraft show. I've tried to do a better job lately of mentioning guys that have advantages in points leagues or eight category leagues. But for the most part, this is a redraft nine category podcast. And we are expanding our offering at HoopBall with the all-rookie pod and punt intended the Fantasy NBA Dynasty podcast. Those things are incredible. Can't wait for you guys to check out Pun Intended. Punt Intended, you had to kind of say it slowly, otherwise you're going to say the wrong name. 
That's coming out later today. They've already backfilled the show with four debut episodes, breaking down guys that ended the season strongly, that are sort of anomalous, uh, guys that ended the season poorly, and what that means, the Horford-Kemba trade, it's they've, they've been busting it behind the scenes. And here's the coolest part of all, those are not the only two new podcasts coming to HoopBall. We have at least two others in the works likely debuting here during the offseason. and offseason, that's what I say. Do stuff. Do stuff with your offseason. Fantasy offseason, I guess. So let's dive into the handicapping side of things first, because that's uh, what the guys over on Today in Sports Betting are waiting for. And then those listeners will have the show end after that part. So if you're listening to Today in Sports Betting right now, you'll get this next segment, and then that'll be the end of the show. If you're listening to Fantasy NBA Today, we'll segue right on into breaking down the Clippers. Let's rock. Yesterday, the Clippers... This is the reality Clippers, not the fantasy Clippers. Beat the Suns in Phoenix, 116-102. Basically a wire-to-wire win. Paul George was incredible. 41-13-6, three steals, three threes, eight of eight at the free throw line. He was just terrific in every facet of the basketball game. Played defense, scored basically every time he touched the basketball. And there was nothing the Suns could do to slow him down, which, of course, sometimes in the NBA, if you run into a buzzsaw, you're just going to get beat. You know, it's funny, too. The Suns actually didn't play all that poorly in this game, at least from an offensive standpoint. It's why we gave out the over as our free play on yesterday's podcast, because the pace of every game in this series has been really close to the same, and it wasn't all that far off in this one. The Suns had, uh, Clippers, excuse me, had about 100 possessions, so it was actually a little bit slower there. But as we've talked about before, when you make shots, your number of possessions tends to decrease kind of artificially because you don't get offensive rebounds. The pace slows down a tiny bit more. Um, just because teams are taking it out from out of bounds through the hoop instead of long rebound, get out and run. And then over on the Phoenix side, they had about 108 possessions. A um, couple extra, uh, one extra rebound, more turnovers. I'm counting that, by the way, in the number of possessions. And for the first time in the series, the Suns actually out free throwed, free through. <laughs> it's past tense of that. The Clippers they took 20. LA uh, got 15 in the ball game. So once again, this one came down to which team was more efficient with their possessions. And it was a funny thing too because we we talked about that last ball game where the teams got about 80 85 shots apiece. And, you know, a handful of free throws and not that many turnovers, pretty average number. And they put up 164 points. And how that total belied the fact that the game probably should have ended around 210. And so the reason I liked yesterday's over was because I thought, look, these teams just coming off the ultimate slugfest where no one could hit a shot, guarded or open, and that's going to normalize. And it did. Clippers made shots. This one went over by about a touchdown. Uh, total was 211.5 when we talked about it on the podcast. It closed at 213. It still went over by five points. And now, looking at the ballgame tomorrow, since those of you listening on today in sports betting, you won't hear from me again tomorrow. Phoenix is favored by one in L.A. with a total of 215. So that number's moved back up a little bit as per the 218 final total in this ballgame. I believe that 215 has basically long been the number 
that they should have been gunning for. When these totals were in the 220s, we were going under, under, under. It was on the 22nd and the 24th of this month. We went under in both of those. When the total dropped to 217 and a half over the weekend, I actually thought there might be a chance it could creep up and over that mark, but I didn't ultimately do a show on that day, so it kind of didn't matter. Uh, that one, of course, went way under. But then they adjusted the number down from 217 and a half to 211 and a half. That's a huge jump considering the pace of the ballgame didn't change. It was just that guys didn't make buckets. And throughout the whole series, we, we did this analysis on Fantasy NBA Today yesterday that basically you've been looking at teams getting between 100 and 105 possessions, fuzzy math style. We're doing a fuzzy math style in each game so far. So the total should have generally been, if it was a perfectly average offensive performance, about 210 in each one of these games. And then, of course, you had sort of the, the swing back in each direction, somewhere around 210, 215. It's, it's fluctuated a bit based on who was missing a ton of shots. Now, the, the one piece of analysis we had in the game from Saturday was that with all those missed shots, you actually saw the number of possessions go up because of all the running. So both teams had about 110 tries, turnovers, free throws, actual field goal trumps, whatever, in that game on Saturday. So that one, if the offense was better, you might have thought it was going to be closer to 220, but you have to adjust down for the fact that a couple of made buckets would have meant slightly fewer possessions. Yesterday, I think, was a perfect example of what happens when teams make about the number of buckets you expect. Clippers underperform, sorry, Phoenix underperformed Suns by about five, six points based on how many attempts they had to do something. And the Clippers overachieved, not, I mean, significantly by about 15. So uh, the teams went over the number, the pace expectation by about 10, give or take. And at a 218, remember. So again, the pace was right around 210. So 215 is a pretty good number, I think, for tomorrow's basketball game because this is the modern NBA. They are very good offensive players. The Clippers, I think, want to move a little quicker than the Suns do. If Kawhi was in there, the game would slow down a little bit more. Clippers know they need to move a little faster. They don't want to go up against the set Suns defense as often as possible. Phoenix, I think, would rather play a half-court game because they're very good in the half-court. So 215 is pretty reasonable. Assume the Clippers miss a couple of shots. Perhaps the pace is a little bit faster, but Phoenix makes a couple more. That may slow the game down a little bit more. So I, I think it balances itself out. You've seen a lot of games in this series just sort of hovering around this particular number. After that first weird one that went to 234, which both teams shot the ball well, Clippers percentage-wise not that great, but they had 23-pointers, so that sort of covered up whatever issue there. Then it was 207. Uh, then it was 198, then it was 164, then it was 218. All of this is sort of circling around that 210 number. So if you're going to do anything tomorrow, you probably lean ever so slightly to the under. But I'm probably leaving that one alone. I think they finally moved the number close to where it should be. And then on the side, I do think Phoenix ultimately closes out the series in LA. Uh, Suns got caught a little bit with their pants down. I think they thought they were going to be able to take care of business here. Clippers just came out and hit everything, and that's probably not going to happen two games in a row. Sadly, sometimes the handicapping is just that easy to say, Paul George is not going to shoot 75% and get 40 points two games in a row. It's a pretty reasonable bet. Maybe he does it. 
What do you think the odds are he does it? One out of 20? One out of 10 at best? That's an odd I would fade. I also think Chris Paul is going to be better. He's slowly getting his legs back underneath him, so they'll be ready. Tonight, Milwaukee is in Atlanta. Currently, the Bucks are favored by seven points. That's up from four and a half, the spread of the game on Sunday. And it's not just because Milwaukee won by 11. It's because Trey Young is questionable with a bone bruise. And the Hawks are battered and bruised at this point. Milwaukee is somehow, for the most part, staying healthy. Giannis has a slight tweak to his calf, but he's considered probable. Bogdan Bogdanovich hurt his knee. He's also probable. Here's the thing. There's no way I'm laying seven points with a road team in the conference finals. I'm just not. I don't care who's in or who's out. Frankly, on either side, unless the Hawks were missing like Trey and Capella and John Collins or something like that, then I'd probably have trouble taking seven points. But in a game like this, you have to at least look at the underdog, even though Milwaukee's beat him up pretty good two games in a row. The last one, by the way, worth noting that Milwaukee did most of the upbeating towards the end of the ballgame. It was tight throughout. Milwaukee opened it up late. Chris Middleton had a 20-point quarter, and that really did the trick. But there's the Trey Young injury looming over everything. He had 35 points on 23 shots in that last ballgame, but if he's limited even a little bit, that pretty much removes the Atlanta offense. They're not going to get what they want against Milwaukee, who, again, they pretty much play their, they throw their fastball on defense, and the guy that can break it down a little bit is Trey Young. So this is, again, one of those situations where you sort of put all the pieces together and it points to, I don't know how on earth you make a bet before tip in a game where we don't really know what Trey Young's going to look like. It's, it's like if we were betting on the Suns and the Lakers games when we knew Anthony Davis wasn't 100% and he was giving it a go, that was a time where you wanted to fade L.A., if anything. Right now, I think this number is built on Trey Young either playing very hurt or not playing at all. So you might have an opportunity here in the midday to get down on Atlanta plus seven, and if Trey Young is announced as a go for this ballgame, you might see that line come back down to about Milwaukee by five. Not that two points is a juicy middle, but in a playoff game where every point is critical, two points is actually pretty good. Most middles, you're looking for more like three to four, but that may be your best pre-game action on this ballgame, is to try to set up a middling opportunity. And right now, that would be to take Atlanta early and Milwaukee late. You could bet off of it if the line doesn't move, if Trey Young is still out or something like that. Although, I, do, I, I still think Atlanta keeps this game close. I don't think they get beat up uh, both times at home by double digits. And seven points isn't all that far inside double digits. So if, if you think this is a ball game in any way, shape, or form, you have to lean towards Atlanta. And after seeing the last one, and defensively, that's where things have really turned around a little bit because Milwaukee's still scoring a fair amount in these games. Atlanta really hasn't put up much in the way of points. The total is currently set at 218.5. That has been dropping like a boulder. It was 226 for game two, 225 for game one. That one finished at 229, so they didn't move it very much. Then the next one finished at a buck 14. No, buck 16. Excuse me. I can do my math right. Uh, they adjusted the total down by two. The next one finished at 215. 
and they adjusted the total down by six. So again, this is an expectation that there is no Trey Young in that ballgame. 218.5 is starting to get kind of low for this series, especially because uh, Milwaukee, they'll run as often as they humanly can. So this is where I get to with this handicap. And another reason why I don't think I can advise betting it before the game starts. If Trey Young is playing, Atlanta will continue to do mostly what they've been doing. We have a pretty good feel for the kind of ball game you're going to get there. It's going to be a total probably between 215 and 225. If Trey Young sits, it completely changes what both teams are doing. Milwaukee defensively can change what they're operating with. I don't know if they they have that game plan ready to go, but certainly for Atlanta, they'll probably try to limit the number of opportunities Milwaukee has in transition. So you might actually see a pretty slow ball game if the Hawks are laser-focused on getting back on defense, like not crashing the glass, retreating, setting up the half court, trying to make Milwaukee beat them in the half court, which they probably would without Trey, but certainly the open court, Giannis is the best open court player in this series, but Trey Young isn't all that far behind him. You take Trey out of the equation, there is a colossal drop off. Now you've got Giannis, who's one of the preeminent open court players in the entire NBA, and on the Hawks, you have none. Lou Williams is not an open court guy. John Collins is not going to create. Bogdan Bogdanovich, he'll fire a transition three, but that's about as far as that goes. Herder, no. Gallo, no. These are guys that would rather try to get an open three-pointer in some sort of pick-and-roll offense, or Gallo might go ISO and try to get fouled. It totally changes the pace of the ballgame. I actually much preferred that series. It was early. It was Philly and Washington, where Joel Embiid was ruled out, and the total went down, even though his removal from the game was actually going to speed the game up. You take out the post-presence. This is... This is the opposite. This is where the line is actually moving in the right direction based on the potential missing personnel. If Trey Young is out of the ballgame, offense will be harder to come by. The question is how much hate betting this game before tip. This is a live wagering game because I think Trey Young is going to play. And the question I have for betting this game is how healthy does he look? That's my advice on the two upcoming games in each of these series. Game four in the Eastern Conference tonight and uh, Game 6, so stupid, by the way, that the West and the East are off by like three days in, in how their games are happening. But Game 6 in the Western Conference, that's on uh, tomorrow. And this is where Today in Sports Betting basically uh, peels off. So make sure to follow at Hoopball Gaming, you Today in Sports Betting listeners. Actually, Fantasy NBA Day, you guys can listen to the follow Hoopball Gaming as well to get all the amazing stuff. I've hit four free plays in a row through Hoopball Gaming. So another good reason to uh, to follow them over there. I am Dan Vespers. Have a great day today in sports betting listeners. Okay, they're gone. We can whisper amongst ourselves now, fantasy NBA players. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. Today's too complicated for me to do a bunch of promo stuff. So just please go get something at manscaped.com. Please go get an account going at mybookie.ag. You guys know the drill at this point. Just please help us out here at Hoopball. Do stuff with them during the offseason. This is the hardest time for us to make sure our advertisers are locked in because this is the time when, I mean, Twitter's dead. Basketball Twitter's dead. Twitter as, as a whole, unfortunately, is very much alive. Uh, so this is when we really need your help. 
the Clippers. A um, couple of relatively important player options on uh, next year's card. One in particular, that would be Kawhi Leonard, who has a player option for $36 million, or could opt to sign a new longer deal. Paul George is on the longer deal uh, between those two guys. I-, I would be pretty surprised if Kawhi left the Clippers. I think that this season brought it back together. I, I actually think that that uh, removing Doc Rivers and bringing in Ty Lue and the fight that the Clippers are showing right now in the playoffs without Kawhi Leonard should give, uh, I think, a lot of tightness to a locker room that last season was fracturing. They can try to say that it wasn't, but it was. We all could see it from the outside. Lou Williams didn't want to be there. Montrez Harrell didn't want to be there. Uh, and things were a mess. The guys weren't getting along. Paul George was in a bad way. He even, I mean, he spoke about it publicly. And you guys know I've been a strong critic of Paul George and how he's handled his contractual situations. The internet is all, it's so back and forth. Everybody says, oh, so much Paul George slander. I don't know how many people were slandering Paul George's ability to play basketball other than the dimwits at ESPN and Fox and the places that have to just say stuff to say stuff. My criticism was always how he basically detonated Oklahoma City. When he could have easily signed somewhere else, they could have gone a different direction. Now the Thunder have rebounded well, getting young players and 9,000 draft picks, but I really didn't like that situation. I didn't like that he didn't even look at other teams the previous year, gave a team a long-term commitment, had a playoff run, and then abandoned ship after one year. That's my issue with Paul George. He's very good at basketball. That's easy. We don't need to make a thing out of everything. But anyway, back to the fantasy side of stuff. Uh, Clippers have a lot of money committed for next year already, and too much to a number of players. Marcus Morris is set to make $16 million a year, basically for three more years. Luke Kennard, 13 or $14 million for about three more years. Patrick Beverly, who, uh, very useful when healthy, isn't often healthy. He's set to make 14 mil next season. Rajon Rondo, $7.5 million, second year of his deal that he signed with the Hawks. Ivica Zubats is on the hook for 7.5 mil each of the next two years. Sergi Baca, whose back has exploded, is on the hook for $10 million next year. He's not on the hook. Sorry, the Clippers are on the hook. The guys that are coming off the books, Patrick Patterson, Nick Batum, Reggie Jackson. That's... A couple of really important names there, but Toom and Jackson are playing large roles in the Clippers' playoff run. I don't know how they conceivably bring either of those two guys back. Because all of this player option stuff, if Kawhi Leonard, even if he declines his player option, it's going to be to sign a two- or three-year deal, a new deal with a couple of years, at 35 to $40 million. So just assume that's staying on the books. And then Serge Ibaka, who can barely move, is going to take $10 million to barely move. So the Clippers are cash-strapped going into next season. Effectively, their eight most expensive players are still on the books. So there's going to be a bit of a run-it-back thing going on with only room around the periphery for veterans' minimums for the most part. And they're not going to get veterans that'll play as well as Batum and Jackson have this year. That's the best combo of veteran minimums I think you can find in the NBA, minima. 
veterans minima. That's probably the correct pluralization of it. So from a fantasy standpoint, what we saw from the Clippers this year is uh, not that dissimilar from what you'll see going forward. The third highest ranked Clipper, well, let's make sure that we have the correct date range. We don't want to include any superfluous playoff games or things of that of that nor. The Clippers only had two players inside the top 100. I think it's pretty obvious which ones they were on a per-game basis. They had uh, three players, I believe, inside the top 104, excuse me, on a totals basis because Ivica Zubats uh, had nine points and seven rebounds and one block but played in all 72 regular season games. He was top 150 on a per-game basis in about 22 minutes a game. Uh, Nick Batum was 109 on a per-game basis, got off to that really good start, had a concussion, if I'm not mistaken, and then there might have been some actual COVID stuff going on, and he was never quite the same. Some of that, of course, was because Marcus Morris took some time to get ramped up as the season went on, and they had a a surplus of power forwards on the team. Uh, But for Batum, he was the third guy that was generally useful this season for the Clippers, and, I mean, you could make arguments that Zubats could have a week here and there. Um, but even when Serge Ibaka went down and, and Zoo's role became more locked in stone, you can look at, like, the last three months of this season, Zubats was still not that impressive. He was still right around the edge of the top 150. His minutes went up by one. His scoring went up by a half. His rebounding went up by about a half. He's, he's a, someone who's on the precipice of getting there. The problem with Zubats, and the reason he's sort of perpetually on our watch list, is that he has a fantasy game that profiles as a number two center, both in reality and in fantasy, actually. Uh, Scoring, meh. Decent rebounding. Block shots, sort of uh, Valanchunas-level shot blocking, but very good field goal percent. Decent enough foul shooting. Um... And then the issue really is that he just, he doesn't have enough usage. We need him to get a few more shots. Instead of six field goal attempts a game, and this is, again, we're talking about basically no Serge Ibaka for long stretches here. Uh, Zubac just doesn't take shots. Five to six shots a game won't get it done. We need him up in that Serge Ibaka area. Serge was taking nine shots a game in 23 minutes a night. If you got Zubac up to nine shots a night, he's an easy fantasy value. Because right now he's averaging about a point and a half per shot. Thank you, very high field goal percent. Nine field goal attempts would mean more like 13 to 14 points per game. And if you left everything else the same, that pretty much puts him right at the edge of the top 100. And, heaven forbid, he plays an extra two minutes per ball game, and the rebounding gets up into the eights. Well, yeah. Then he's at 13 and eight with one to 1.1 blocked shot and good field goal percent and okay free throw number. That's a good draft pick in the 100 range, I just don't think it's coming. Even if Serge Ibaka exercises his option and never plays a game next year, the Clippers are not going to run a traditional center out there for 30 minutes a night because most teams in the NBA, or uh, enough teams in the NBA, don't have a traditional center banging back the other way. Someone's going to space the floor. Zoo's not going to be able to stay with it, and they're going to have to go small ball to Marcus Morris at the five, or this year they've run some Batum even at the five. So much as I will have, so much as I would want, I should say, Vitsa Zubats to turn that magical corner, 
I don't think he's playing 26, 27 minutes a game, and that's probably what he would need to get to at his current pace to be a fantasy value. Marcus Morris, not enough usage. We've talked about him a lot. He's uh, He'll hover on the brink for stretches. He had a, a brilliant three-point shooting season, but just not enough shots for him when Kawhi and Paul George are both healthy. Uh, and Patrick Beverly can't stay healthy enough to remain on the floor. Presumably... Well, if Rondo's back, that sort of blows that up. I would say with Reggie Jackson likely signing for a bunch of money somewhere else in the offseason, that maybe affords a few extra minutes to Beverly. And so he'll he'll nip at the heels of being nine-category relevant, but he can't stay healthy long enough. So, um, again, without the massive upside and without the durability, I don't see a reason there. So we circle the wagons repeatedly, over and over again, and we fall back on how do we handicap the two superstars on this team, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I do think that some of it actually is going to be contingent on how this current playoff series ends. The Clippers are currently fighting their tails off against the Suns. I think... In the next two ball games, they will lose. Whether it's game six tomorrow or game seven in three days back in Phoenix, I think the Clippers lose this series. If slash when they lose this series, and there's almost no way they win the title without Kawhi Leonard reappearing, and maybe he does, I don't know, that's conceivable. If Kawhi came back and the Clippers were in the finals, I would right go right back to making them the favorites because I had them winning. I had them winning the title in my bracket preseason. I actually had Clippers Sixers in the finals. I had the Sixers beating the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, but the Sixers imploded early, so that leaves the Bucks as my second choice. That, by the way, was a call made before James Harden was traded to Brooklyn, which makes me sound smarter now. Uh, but I probably would have adjusted those numbers <laughs> if if someone was like. If, if I knew that trade was going down when I made my preseason predictions, they probably it probably wouldn't have been Clippers-Sixers, but whatever. Uh, Clippers-Bucks, still a possibility. Still, uh, I would expect that the Suns win this series. And for the Clippers, I think they'll look at this season as a pretty big success with the caveat, uh, there's a built-in excuse lever if they lose in this series. The excuse is, hey... Our best player got hurt in a series we won without him. If we had Kawhi Leonard, we'd be rolling these guys right now. If we had our both of our superstars in the playoffs, we are a championship-level team. So whether that's true or not doesn't actually matter. I believe it is. I believe that when healthy, the Clippers are a legitimate title team. And I thought they were the best team in the Western Conference this year, pre-injuries. That's it. All that matters is whether or not they believe it. For fantasy purposes, we kind of want them not to believe it. Let me explain myself there. This season, the reason that I was sort of foolishly bullish on Paul George was that I felt like there was a lot of Paul George slight after the bubble last year, and a lot of Clippers slight in general. Hey, this was a team that anointed themselves kings 
similar to the LeBron going to Miami stuff here. It wasn't quite so, it wasn't quite so egregious as the how many titles counting it off that the Heatles did. But for the Clippers, I don't know if many of you guys are in Los Angeles. You guys seen all the billboards that they've put up, basically talking about how they're the the team from the streets in L.A. or whatever nonsense marketing ploy that was. They, the Clippers, walked into last year and acted like they were title contenders before they played a single game together. And you could see it all unravel before our eyes. They didn't have chemistry. This year, you could see they prioritized chemistry, and we heard all about that in the offseason. Oh, these guys want to want to play together. Well, the short turnaround, COVID, injuries, whatever you want to call it, it's sort of, it, it put enough holes in that where... Our handicap, which was, hey, Paul George is going to want to play a bunch of games this year. He's going to prove the haters wrong. Well, he did that for about two and a half months, and then he was like, all right, that's enough hater proving. And he cooled off, and the Clippers sort of threw it into coast, and they went back to their old stuff, and Kawhi's always going to rest his back-to-backs. It just That's just how it is. And so, I don't know why I keep saying and so on today's podcast. I'm going to stop that right now. You heard it here. No more of that nonsense. The... The Kawhi Leonard stuff is pretty easy to handicap. He's not playing in back-to-backs. They're load management because he has a neurodegenerative muscle thing going on. We just have to deal with that. And he's going to be so good on a per-game basis that it's going to outweigh the load management. It's the same thing every year now. Provided he doesn't get uh, catastrophically injured, he's going to miss his 12 back-to-back rest games and then probably another four to six injury games. This year he missed 20, was slightly more than that. Paul George was the one that I thought was set to play in, I don't know, 85 to 90% of his team's games, 60 out of 72, 64 out of 72, something in that neck of the woods. And so that was the real big miss. And we talked about that when I uh, was looking at the superstars on discount at the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. Paul George got off to a great start this year. He was he was inside the top eight for about the first month and a half, two months of the season. But then his shooting cooled off, and the steals never uh, inver- reverted to a positive. It never regressed or egressed to the mean. It never egressed to his one and a half to one to two. He was at 1.1. I don't know what that was all about. I'm inclined to believe that that was a weird statistical anomaly for this season and that he'll go back to being an elite steals guy in future years. But I also don't know. It Maybe maybe this is that. PG's in his 30s now. He's not so much past his peak, but things like this, if he was 27 and it happened his 20, age 27 season, I would be much more inclined to just write it off. But once you're in your 30s, you start to just, as a basketball player and or as an analyst, we have to look at them and say, well, there's a chance, whatever chance that may be, that this is something that is the beginning of a trend. Maybe he doesn't get all the way back to 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, or whatever the steals number, whatever our target might have been. Maybe he does get back to 1.4. And we could say, oh, good, it's it's coming back. Perhaps this was just a weird dip on a downward sloping line that will come back up. The best fit line might still be pointed the wrong direction. 
Reggie Jackson likely being gone means that some shots are going to get freed up. And is it just more for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? I don't know. But the reason, looping all the way back around to the first much larger statement I made, which is I think we want this team to feel to feel a lack of belief in themselves. The reason we would want that is they might feel more inclined to bust it in the regular season if that was the case. Or let's say they take this thing to seven games and they lose in game seven on the road in Phoenix. Maybe that's something that the Clippers file into the back of their head as, hey, we want home court advantage in the playoffs. We lost game seven on the road. Not that it's actually mattered. I don't think that really matters because they won a bunch of games in Dallas. They've now won a game in Phoenix. They've been totally fine on the road versus home. I'm throwing all these things out there as things I don't expect will happen that would give me a reason to have higher hopes for the Clippers superstar duo from a fantasy standpoint. What do I actually believe? Throw all the hypotheticals aside. Here's what I actually believe. I think the Clippers are going to lose this series either in six or seven games, which are the only two options left. It doesn't matter whether it's six or seven games. That's why I phrased it like that. I think the Clippers are going to lose this series. I think the Clippers look at themselves as a title contender. I think they look at themselves as a team that now has locker room chemistry that they may not have had last year and doesn't feel like they need to prove it during the regular season. All that to say, next year will strongly resemble this year for the Clippers. Paul George, number 25 on a per-game basis. If the steals come back up a little bit, you could see him creep inside the top 20, put him at around number 18 or 19 if the steals come back. Kawhi Leonard will probably be a top six per game guy again, who misses 15 to 18 basketball games out of 82 in this coming season. The big question mark still hangs. How many games is Paul George going to play? He missed 18 games this year. I bet he plays in, that would be 64 games next season. I bet he clears that number. Put Paul George at about 66 next year. So sub-league average meaning he's going to have to beat his ADP on a per-game basis because I don't think he's beaten his handicap or his preseason guess from the big box sites on how many games he plays. He probably under-hits that mark. But what this does do, and we need to keep a close watch on this, is it creates shot vacuums. I don't know what the... What a good buzzword. It's like a power vacuum almost. Kawhi's going to sit games. George is going to sit games. There's going to need to be a second dude taking a ton of shots on those nights. And this year, if you could isolate those Marcus Morris games, like I bet you could probably go through the Marcus Morris game log from this year. Don't look at who was in. Don't look at who played that night. Look at his stats and try to guess whether or not one of the superstars was sitting. Like the game against... this, I might be wrong, by the way. We're doing this test uh, together. April 21st against Memphis, he took 19 shots. I'm betting one of the superstars sat that ball game out. Both. <laughs> that was both. The answer is that was both. So that's the thing here with Marcus Morris. If he gets a green light, to take more like 13 or 14 shots a game. 
he actually would then have fantasy value. Here's another one. How about, uh, what about that game against the Blazers, which wasn't all that far off of that one? What the hell day was that for Marcus Morris? That was April 20th. That was the previous night. Paul George played in that one. Kawhi sat it out. He took 14 shots. So if one of those guys is sitting, Marcus Morris immediately jumps into the 12 to 15 shot range, and he is inside the top 100 there. You can't really use a guy like that in head-to-head because on the 40 to 50 games a year where Paul George and Kawhi are playing together, Marcus is going to take nine shots and he's going to be outside the top 140. You would sit him for those. But in Roto, if he's your last pick, you put him on your bench and you deploy him for, I mean, I don't know, are they going to stagger the missed games between PG and Kawhi next year? Does one sit out the front end of a back-to-back and one the back end? I don't I don't know. But you're talking about a possibility of Marcus Morris getting, I don't know, 30 to 40 games next year of top 80, top 85 type of production. There's a usefulness to that. There's also a usefulness of just looking at the Clippers' schedule, seeing when they have a, a, a series of back-to-backs, and then just picking up Marcus for that week and a half, and then dropping him when they don't have back-to-backs for a few weeks. No sense sitting on him if the Clippers have two weeks where they don't go back-to-back. That's probably the more prudent choice. Zubots is another guy to keep an eye on, depending on what the Clippers do with their front court. But I still don't think he gets up to that 26, 27 minutes a game that he would need. Batum probably going somewhere else for a few extra bucks. Reggie Jackson... Almost definitely going somewhere else for a few extra bucks. Terrence Mann is not going to have enough going on on a game-to-game basis. Neither is Luke Kennard. And that is why the Clippers really, truly do all come down to the two superstars. Kawhi Leonard, who will be an easy draft pick. He'll go at the turn like he always does, and he'll probably overperform it. Paul George, who may go towards the end of the second round. And you just, if you take him there, you hope his steals come back. Because top column number 18 on a per-game basis, uh, four-ish games under the league average in games played will put him right at the edge of the second round, somewhere maybe in the middle of the third. I think there are probably better choices at that juncture. Especially since we don't know if his steals are coming back. If they don't come back, then Paul George has another year like this one where he was top 25 per game and he was much worse than that by totals. I don't think I even gave you George's totals rank on today's podcast, but it, uh, it, it wasn't good. 45. 45. Okay, that's your show. Today in sports betting got their half. Fantasy NBA, did, Fantasy NBA Today got two halves. You guys got the full deal. And my voice takes a break. This is Tuesday's simulcast. I'm Dan Baspris. Hit me up. Please hit me up. We'd love to talk to you guys about uh, podcasting for the most part. Uh, Fantasy NBA Today and Today in Sports Betting, both hoop ball presentations. Have a wonderful Tuesday. Live bet the game tonight. Be smart about it. We'll talk to you tomorrow.